Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ormark on the World Show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and our guest today, we have three remarkable guests today. We have Heba Mahmood, who is the Director of Chapter Engagement for the Association of Fundraising Professionals. We have Emily Rose Patz, who is the Senior Copywriter at Donor Perfect, And we have Tysley Williams, who is the VP of Development for YWCA. And every time I think about it, I just get tired because that sounds like such a heavy job. You, you don't want to miss this episode as we talk about the Women's Impact Initiative and the issues facing women in the nonprofit sector. So don't miss this episode. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. This episode is made possible via the support of our sponsors, including Johnson & Johnson's Caring Crowd. Heba, Emily, Tysley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're, we're thrilled to have all of you here. And really, I think this is an important discussion that I'm so grateful that you are willing to have with me. But I think, uh, you know, the, the, the issues we are here to talk about, you, you uh, represent well, and I'm excited to get your perspective on these things, because uh, I'm not entitled a perspective and uh, look forward to getting yours. But uh, Tysley, could we start with you? Um, Vice President of Development at YWCA. I, again, uh, that is a daunting job. Uh, maybe you would just put this into perspective for the rest of us. How much money do you have to raise in your capacity every year? Well, quite a bit. Um, the YWCA of the USA, um, collectively, we are the 25th largest charity um, in the United States. And so we have a federated model where we have 210 local associations uh, working to raise revenue to fuel mission uh, in local communities across the states. And at our national office, uh, we're tasked with raising uh, millions of dollars to help ensure that uh, service delivery continues to the underserved. So it's never a dull moment, Devin. Yeah, I'm sure it's not. But is it millions? Is it tens of millions? Hundreds of millions? What do you raise? What's your target every year for your, your office there, Tysley? So we don't write our annual operating budget. It's, it's tens of millions. So we are not at the hundreds of millions mark. Uh, with all of our local associations, they each have their own independent um, right. goals that they are working to meet alongside volunteers and partners who uh, align with our mission. So we are not at the hundreds of millions just yet, but yeah. uh, this year, Devin, we're celebrating 160 years. So we should uh, stretch and, and go for that 160 million. Now. That would be great. Uh, but whoa, what, what a lot of work. I, uh, I volunteer uh, occasionally at the YWCA here in Salt Lake City where I'm based uh, and uh, great work that you're doing there. But I think, Tysley, you and Emily and Heba have been working on this uh, Women's Impact Initiative. Tell us just a little bit about what that is. Absolutely. So Emily and Heba have been um, very involved in helping us create a workbook, which we're going to probably have Emily talk to you a little bit more about. There's some actual tangible tips that can really help women uh, define a pathway forward. 
So the Women's Impact Initiative is um, a program within AFP's IDEA program. And Devin, that stands for Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access. So the Women's Initiative is one of many initiatives that the Fundraising Professionals Association will roll out in an attempt to ensure that our frontline fundraisers um, have what they need in order to continue fueling philanthropy. Uh, the Women's Impact Initiative was just launched in March of this year, and we are solely focused on understanding the unique needs of females in the fundraising profession. As you can imagine, uh, some of the things that have come to light have been the leadership pipeline, or let us say lack thereof, 70% uh, of the fundraisers uh, are women, but we only represent about 30% uh, when you look at the leadership uh, pool. So as you can imagine, we have a vested interest in ensuring that women who have a desire to lead teams are, are prepared and are supported. Uh, separate and apart from leadership, we're looking at things like sexual harassment. Uh, there's been heightened visibility, uh, not only within our profession, but globally um, about sexual harassment. And so we've conducted a recent survey and we're really trying to learn how we can curtail those incidents. We've yeah. learned one in four women um, experience some form of sexual harassment. So Heba, let me, let me turn to you for a minute. You are uh, there at uh, AFP and I've got to imagine uh, looking back now through the lens of Me Too and Time's Up at uh, a, a population of mostly women asking a population of mostly powerful men for money, that that is a recipe for trouble. Not one I would have identified before, but uh, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing and what you're thinking about in terms of the Women's Impact Initiative to prevent or end some of the things that uh, women have been enduring uh, for the sake of uh, their jobs. I, I imagine they put up with some horrible crap at, at, at best. <clears throat> yes, so we've, I'm happy to say that AFP partnered with the Chronicle of Philanthropy to do this first extensive survey of sexual harassment in the fundraising profession. And through that, just like with all other sectors, and as we've seen with the Me Too movement, people in positions of power are usually the perpetrators of sexual harassment. And in fundraising, that's usually the donor. And our study shows it's 60, over 60% of the time the donor is a perpetrator of the sexual harassment. And it can range from making inappropriate comments to touching, um, unwanted touching and um, other things. So we see it very similar to other professions, the types of sexual harassment that are prevalent in the, fund in the fundraising sector. And while one in four women are experiencing sexual harassment, we also have 7% of men that were surveyed that are also experiencing sexual harassment. So I think it's really important to play up that 
the donors sometimes are the ones doing this to men and women and AFP as an association, as the leading association of fundraisers, has the opportunity to set forth resources that will help organizations, individuals, and the nonprofit sector in general look at ways that they can talk to their donors and resources to put out like a gift acceptance policy. Um, and if someone is going to meet with a donor, should someone else go with them? Who, how should the reporting structure go? And so our Women's Impact Initiative Task Force is specifically looking at creating these resources in the next couple of months. And I think with the focus of how to combat sexual harassment in relation to donors is what our main focus will be. And it'll be really important because there's lots of information out there about combating sexual harassment against coworkers and employers and, and things like that. But there hasn't ever been anything to show you or tell you or give you insight about how to do that with. So I'm excited to, I'm not happy about it, but I'm excited that we're creating these resources. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I had never thought before our conversation today about how fraught that relationship is between uh, a woman who is earning a salary and maybe only a modest salary who is then placed in a position oftentimes opposite a man who is powerful and wealthy, accustomed to getting his way, and now is in the position of bestowing money that uh, will impact the, the uh, professional's career. Uh, that is just really a, a dangerous, fraught situation. And I think we've all been, maybe, maybe I'm saying that we're, we've all been ignoring that risk for too long, but, uh, but I suspect uh, until you experience it, uh, you ignore it. And then even some of those. Uh, have any of you ever experienced anything like that? Yes. Tell, tell me about your experience, Heva. Well, if I, you will. I mean, I, I, that's rude of me to put you on the spot. If you're willing. No, 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 it's fine. I'm not a fundraiser, but I'm lucky enough to work with fundraisers and I've been in international business and marketing. And when I first got college um, and found myself in my first official permanent position, the first week on the job, I was sexually harassed. And the third week on the job, I was almost sexually assaulted. And at 22, and not having any prior experience or knowing the channels that I had or the support that I had, what I did was I quit my job. And in doing that, and that was in the um, profit for-profit sector, I found myself working for nonprofits. But how many other young women and young men and other people face these types of things where they don't know what to do and we end up losing those talents to those types of cases. So for me, it really hits home because it's something that I've been through and that I know personally. So. Well, it's painful and I'm sorry you, you went through that. I do appreciate you uh, sharing uh, some of those experiences with us. Emily, you're working on this uh, or, or prepared this workbook. Tell us a little bit about, you know, is, is this ready for publication now? Is it available? And tell us about the, the workbook. Um, the Nonprofit Leadership Workbook for Women is designed to address the fact that although the nonprofit sector is comprised of mostly women, there aren't enough women in leadership right now. And Based on my interviews with multiple women leaders in the nonprofit community, it gives advice and best practices to be able to 
equip and encourage women to seek and obtain leadership positions within their organization. Um, it's available for free to download at donorperfect.com slash nonprofit leadership. And it's been a wonderful experience. Um, as a writer for Donor Perfect, I get to work in proximity to the greatest work in the world um, of our clients, um, just dedicating their talents and careers to incredible causes. So to be able to reach out to women and say, hey, how did you do this? Um, what challenges did you face? Um, what would you say to other people who want to move forward but are either maybe intimidated by the climate that they're working in or they don't feel as though they know how, how to get ahead? Um, it was great to be able to talk to them and get just tried and true advice and best practices and share that out to the entire nonprofit community. So, Emily, how do, how do people get the book? So you just, um, if you go online to uh, donorperfect.com um, slash nonprofit leadership, on that link, all you need to do is just input your email and click download, and it'll get sent to your inbox, and it'll pop up right on your screen. Thank you for sharing that. So, Tysley, uh, I think I saw you signal that you'd had some experiences, too. I don't want to put you on the spot. If you don't want to share, certainly we can move on. But, but if there's something you want to share, I want to make sure we give you the opportunity to share your experiences as an experienced fundraiser uh, who's been doing this for a few years now. Well, Devin, thanks for um, the sensitivity that you have uh, towards the issue. I do think it's important uh, to put a face on statistics. Um, when I've been speaking recently about uh, what's taking place in the field, it's one thing to say one in four women experience sexual harassment. It's very different when I take ownership and I share that I represent uh, the one in four women who have experienced this level of discomfort. And it's really difficult um, to summarize. Um, I will say my personal experiences have largely um, centered around inappropriate touching. Um, I think we live in a very compassionate and loving society. And Early on when I found myself in these situations and circumstances, I wasn't really sure if I was reading too much into it or if there was reason to be alarmed because uh, you, you greet people with warm hugs and you embrace. And it was, um, didn't take very long to realize that in some instances, uh, the touching was um, inappropriate. Um, the placement of a hand, whether it's on your leg or your lower back. And then um, as I paid a bit more attention, there were um, more overt advances, whether that was an invitation to uh, go back to a hotel room or um, insinuating that we should grab a drink after a charitable event has ended. And all of those things um, just placed me in a really uncomfortable setting and situation because as you alluded to earlier, the last thing you want to do when you're serving as an ambassador of an organization is to send a signal that you are uh, not accommodating, 
that you're not um, open and uh, willing to uh, learn about the interest of a donor, but uh, their boundaries. And we are doing the very best that we can to um, instill within female fundraisers the confidence and courage that they need to advocate for themselves. Yeah, I think men casually throw around language about uh, success using phrases like, you know, doing whatever it takes, giving 100%. Uh, and, and some of that language, when you look at it through this lens, uh, sounds rather creepy. Yet trying to parse that in, in a particular moment might be difficult. Uh, yes. I, I wonder if uh, you would just serve for a minute, the three of you, as something of a sounding board. Uh, how do you distinguish between an appropriate hug? I, I imagine many of, if not most of you or all of you have probably greeted and maybe enthusiastically a donor with a hug. Uh, or a kiss on the cheek. Um, how do you distinguish between that behavior being perfectly okay and safe for you and when it's creepy and uncomfortable for you? What are the things that, that, that change that? Emily, let's start with you. Uh, what, what's your take on those things? Is it ever okay? I mean, I just feel like treat me like you would a colleague that you, you know, respect and, you know, outside the respect professionally and personally and outside the office would regard in a very platonic way. You know, um, that's basically, I, I feel like a good boundary, you know, just treat me with the respect that you would treat your colleague. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Heba, what's your take? I think this is a deeper question. And what I would say is for everyone, not just women, but men, to stick with your values and stick with your boundaries. So, for instance, I come from a culture where women and men don't hug and kiss. Oh, sure. When I'm in that culture, I'm sensitive to those cultural norms. And when I'm around AFP colleagues, I'm aware of those cultural norms. But I've set my own boundaries, whether I'm with this person or that person or this, that allow me to say, uh, you're crossing a boundary. So sometimes if I'm not comfortable hugging someone as they're coming towards me, what I'll do is I'll stick my hand out right away so that they know there's this personal barrier and I'll just shake their hand. Yeah, yeah. And important kind of to stick to your values and and know what is a boundary for you what's a boundary for you may not be a boundary for someone else that's such a valuable reminder thank you have a what about you tysley do you have some insight that you'd share with us absolutely so i think heba did a very nice job introducing the context of culture so i grew up in the deep south uh, in the United States and still live in a Southern city, the District of Columbia. And people um, in this area of the states are very warm, very gregarious. It is an appropriate expression to hug. Um, I think for me, uh, I look for uh, proximity. I think oftentimes when you are embracing outside of family bonds, you tend to have some distance, even with your embrace. 
And so the embrace is not necessarily one that's akin to a snuggle. Uh, it is an embrace that is oftentimes um, more so to the side rather than uh, head on. I would also look for the length of the embrace. I think there's something very different than having an initial encounter than feeling as if you're being squeezed or held on to for the remainder of an evening or during uh, an acceptance speech. I think those things uh, definitely give me alarm uh, when I sense that um, I've found myself in a situation where uh, the offender uh, doesn't realize that um, the embrace has gone on far too long. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are probably the two um, areas that I pay most attention to and probably uh, when I feel most uncomfortable. Yeah, boy, you know, those are uh, really, really helpful guide points, all of those. Uh, I appreciate it. And I think uh, uh, America and the rest of the world are, we're kind of soul searching now about the way men and women should interact. And, and there are deep and profound implications for careers. Uh, one of the things that I was cognizant of before uh, kind of the Me Too movement was the tendency um, for men to uh, socialize more with men that are their juniors, right? So they're more likely to take a, one of their male colleagues out to go play a round of golf in the afternoon, more likely to go for drinks with one of the other guys. And in part, it's because of the appearance of or the actual inappropriateness of taking a colleague of the opposite gender, a woman out to, to do those things. And yet now I, I fear that um, that will get even worse. And so what do you recommend? Again, maybe Emily, we can start with you, but what do you recommend to male colleagues to make sure that they don't end up uh, limiting opportunities for women by limiting socialization that is healthy and appropriate? I mean, I think, it, again, it just goes back to treating women like people, you know, the same that you would treat your other colleague that you respect. I, I do work with um, a lot of men. I work in marketing. I work in technology. Um, it's male-dominated. And I, I have a lot of allies. I'm very fortunate at, at Donor Perfect. And you know, we will go out for drinks, we will socialize, but I think that it's, it's not inappropriate to go and have drinks with someone. It's inappropriate if you have intentions that are anything beyond, you know, the professional or um, personal well-being of someone in, in a way that's not sexual or romantic. Um, I, I think it's just more about don't sexualize the situation just because they're not, you know, we're women, just treat us like people. Yeah, great, great. Heva, what about you? What's your take? I think it's really important to stress the fact that this issue and gender equity is not just a female issue. It's really important for men. And I'm gonna use a term that a lot of people hate to hear, especially now in our current climate, and that's privilege, right? As men with this woman's inequality issue, Men have a privilege, and I think 
I'm not going to place all the, the privilege on men. I think each one of us has some type of privilege in any given situation. And how we utilize that privilege to help those around us, I think, is what's really important. We're in the nonprofit sector. We're looking to change the world and make it a better place. So utilize that privilege to create that impact. For instance, if you're a man who is in a senior position, a CEO, a vice president position, mentor a woman that is rising through the ranks because you want to see the, the, the culture and the, the, the outlook of leadership change within your organization, the nonprofit sector and the world. And for me, I also have some privilege, right? Tysley has some privilege. Emily has some privilege. As an African-American woman, I am a little bit higher up on the gender equity gap in relation to say Latina women who only make 54 cents per dollar that a white male makes. I'm an African-American woman and I make 78 cents to that dollar. So how do I utilize my voice and my privilege to help that Latina woman? And I think that's what's really important for men to remember is that they have the opportunity to create that change that we wanna see. Tysley, what would you add? I'll say that I think we should be um, explicit and uh, defining mentorship and sponsorship and really celebrating uh, men and women who are willing to ensure that women have ample professional opportunities. So I think it's important uh, when you decide to uh, go for a round of golf or you decide to grab a drink uh, to make sure that you are assigning educational and enrichment value to that. And also broadly sharing your willingness to invest in someone so that your colleagues and that your peers uh, hear you say, I'm taking Heba with me to play golf. She's super smart. She's going in the right direction. And I want to solicit her feedback on my upcoming presentation. I think it's important uh, to also be mindful that while we're mentoring and sponsoring people, not only are we investing in their potential, but we also have the ability to learn a great deal from them. And so I uh, love when I have the opportunity to mentor and sponsor because the more that I give, the more I get. And I would just encourage uh, men in particular who are interested in ensuring that women have ample opportunity and that we are doing all that we can uh, to eliminate uh, the gender uh, bias that exists, that those men um, celebrate the fact that they are being our ally, that they're being our advocate, and uh, continue to give voice to that. And I, I, I hope um, Devin, as you referenced earlier, that um, the fact that we're talking about some of the risk, I hope those risks will not frighten men uh, from wanting to engage in appropriate ways to get to know women, uh, to understand how they can help. Um, I hope it doesn't uh, create a further divide. Yeah, uh, well, that's certainly one of my fears that comes out of this whole movement um, uh, because I want to see uh, women continue to make career progress, and I would hate for this to somehow backfire on women, although I think certainly there, we've seen a huge step forward 
in accountability for men when they are engaging in the worst behavior and thank heaven for that. Uh, um, I've had a few people say, but, 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 you know, the due process, but, but, but uh, some women lie. And I think, you know, those, those uh, arguments don't resonate with me because if anything we've learned from, if we've learned anything from Me Too, it is that uh, our institutions, whatever they are, have been really good for a really long time at dismissing the concerns of women. Uh, and we need to get better at listening to the women in our organizations. We have just one minute left, but let me ask each of you uh, to take a, take a moment and tell me what you think I just don't get. I've missed, I have, I've failed to ask the right question. I've, I've framed the crash question wrong. I've ignored uh, you know, race. What, whatever you think the issue is that I've, I'm completely missing, I want you each to just take uh, whatever time you need, recognizing that I committed we'd be done now. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be respectful of your time, but but I don't want to feel like I'm limiting your ability to tell me how clueless I am. But um, Tysley, why don't we start with you this time? Uh, what am I missing? Devin, I think you've done a fantastic job uh, capturing just about uh, a lot of things that are meaningful. I think what we're missing is the fact that um, uh, Heba alluded to the intersectionality piece, and I wish we had a bit more time to talk a little bit more about how issues of race and class and religion and sexual orientation intersect uh, with being a woman, uh, because we are not monolithic. Uh, we have varied experiences, and so while we're speaking up and out for women, uh, there are lots of complexities and there are lots of various issues. So hopefully we'll have uh, time to come back and dig a little bit deeper. Those are great, great reminders. And it is just the kernel of another great discussion, Tysley. Thank you. Heba, what would you add? I think as well, you've covered um, a lot of really good points, especially with the Women's Impact Initiative. I just wanna stress that we're looking at more than just sexual harassment through this initiative. We're looking at other types of harassment. We're looking at what types of education we need to get out to uh, fundraisers and nonprofit professionals. We're looking at awareness pieces. Uh, we did a great piece for Equal Pay Day with um, a live stream interview with our incoming chair and the CEO of the American Association of University Women about what organizations and people can do about salary equity. We're also looking at research and working in conjunction with um, other research entities across the US, Canada, and Mexico, and AFP's own research council to look at what other types of research we can do in this, um, on this issue and what research we've done that we can look at and dig deeper into so that we can address some of these issues. And it's not just for men and it's not just for fundraisers. And I want everyone to get engaged with the Women's Impact Initiative by going to afpidea.org backslash WII. Perfect. Emily, what would you add? What did I miss? I think you did a wonderful job. Um, just going off of what uh, Tysley and Heba 
both said there are just so many different um, facets to this beyond sexual harassment. And I hope that um, through the Women's Impact Initiative, through anything that Donor Perfect can do beyond uh, the nonprofit leadership workbook for women, that more women as they ascend the ranks, as they can access leadership roles, <laughs> that they can create better environments for women and all people to be able to use their talents to benefit the nonprofit sector. Fantastic. Now, Heba, uh, would you just repeat the uh, URL for the uh, Women's Impact Initiative report? Sure. It's AFPIDEA, AFPIDEA.org backslash WII, and that stands for the Women's Impact Initiative. Okay, and again, respecting your time, uh, Heba, what's the best way to reach you? You can reach me through email at hmahmood at afpnet.org. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I'm not very active, but I'm learning, and that's afpheba. That's my Twitter handle. Great. Emily, what about you? Um, my email is epats at softwareware.com um, and DonorPerfect, uh, our Twitter is at DonorPerfect. Great. And Tysley, what about you? So Devin, you can find me at Tysley and that's T-Y-C-E-L-Y on Twitter. And you can also email me at Tysley, T-Y-C-E-L-Y, at Tysley.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for taking so much time. We went way over, and I told you we'd go along, and I feel horrible. But thank you so much for taking the time for this really important discussion. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. I wish you all very well, and let's do some good. Thanks, Devin. Thank you. <laughs> At Caring Crowd, we believe everyone has the power to make a difference. Through our crowdfunding platform for community health, we empower passionate people to drive real change. Whether you work for a nonprofit organization, volunteer, or want to get involved for the first time, you can post a campaign on Caring Crowd. Join us, because caring is where change begins. Thank you for listening. This podcast is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur, or other change maker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com.